1: Yes, it is indeed. NBA Sound System, L-I-V-E Live. Carlin Gay alongside Scott Rafferty, and it's already November, Scott. We are closing in to the end of the calendar year a lot has happened in the first couple weeks of the nba season november always makes me feel like i have to ask this question scott and it's not an nba related question but i want to know where you sit on the side of celebrating christmas or beginning to celebrate christmas on november 1st versus waiting till after thanksgiving us thanksgiving you've
0: gotta of course. You, you, gotta, you gotta wait what are we doing here
1: i i wasn't i wasn't uh, well Full disclosure: We are both in Charlotte, so we know what Harris Teeter is. But for the rest of the country, doesn't have Harris Teeter all over the the United States and and around the world, where we are being heard across the NBA Global Networks. Harris Teeter is a grocery store locally here in the Southeast, Uh, and I was there last night to kind of steal some Halloween—not steal, but go in there and buy some Halloween candy at the discount. They had not one piece of Halloween candy left, but they had candy canes out on November (laughs) first. They they had candy canes in the in the front of the. It was blowing my mind. I was like can we not just wait a couple weeks like give us some time i see people already playing the mariah carey song that's gonna get played overplayed on every streaming system out there i mean it is it's kind of ridiculous i'm with you wait till yeah you got you gotta wait look let let
0: halloween um linger a little bit longer enjoy it enjoy that candy enjoy the the horror movies then you got thanksgiving to look forward to and then after thanksgiving I think you can look forward to Christmas time. That,
1: that's my that's my mindset on it anyway. Yeah, be patient. We're just trying to rush yeah. Christmas down our throats. It's a you know, take some time with this. Uh, all right. On this episode of NBA Sound System, we're going to talk about the great Steph Curry, uh, who is currently the odds on favorite to win the MVP award. And we're starting uh, by saying that because I uh, rightfully predicted him to do so at the beginning of the season. I'm going to remind you that all year long. Uh, The Nets have started slowly uh, to start the season, to say the least. Their offense has just been a slog um, so far. Are they missing Kyrie Irving? We'll get into that. Uh, but we got to start with the Boston Celtics, who uh, had one of the most embarrassing losses for them uh, in, in in quite some time, blowing a huge lead in the fourth period to the Chicago Bulls. Now, the Bulls, we talked about them last week. They're a great team. Uh, but, they I mean, they should not, them being the Celtics, should not blow a 28-point uh, or have a 28-point swing in the fourth quarter at home to any team in the NBA. Don't care how hot they are. Um, what What's going on with the Boston and Celtics they're two and five they, they don't look right what's happening with the C's well
0: that's the thing right it, it's not just that they're two and five it's that their five losses all felt really bad um they lost to the Knicks in double overtime on opening night you know crazy things happens on opening night whatever um then they lost badly to the Raptors a Raptors team that kind of came out of the gates slow um they've been better lately but um losing to them by a big margin wasn't a great look then they had that back-to-back with the Wizards that they lost and then as you said um, kind of collapsing in that fourth quarter against the Bulls. Um, it, it's just not pretty on either end of the court, to be to be quite frank right now for them. They're, they're ranked 19th on offense and 27th in defense, uh, which is it's quite alarming given kind of their personnel. You'd think that this would be more of a defensive-minded group. Um, Jason Tatum, you know, continues to improve defensively. Jalen Brown's a good defender. Uh, Marcus Smart's one of the best guard defenders in the league. Al Horford can still do things. He's a really smart defender. And Robert Williams... Um, who, you know, feels like he gets injured all the time. Hopefully he can stay healthy, uh, can be a monster around the basket. So this team, I mean, should be better on both ends of the court. Um, I'll tell you what, Colin, I, I was looking in preparation for this. I, I was kind of looking at their clutch stats um, yeah. because, you know, Marcus Smart was very critical of the team in general, but specifically Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum at the end of that game um, because they just collapsed in the fourth quarter. And, you um, know, well, Jason Tatum leads the league in uh, field goal attempts in the clutch right now with 25. Do you want to guess how many he's made?
1: I don't know, but it's not a lot because he overall, shooting overall, he hasn't been great. So I'm assuming that it it, it is terrible. 7 for 25, uh, 28%. And
0: having gone through um, all of those attempts this morning in preparation for this there are it, There's just a lot of tough shots, um, kind of like Marcus Ma was speaking about. Jalen Brown's actually been much more efficient than Jason Tatum. He's 10 for 19 from the field in the clutch in those situations. Um, but it, it just it really does in that game like it just feels a lot of uh, one on one one dribble pull ups like Jason Tatum attacking Alex Caruso on an island and Alex Caruso is a fantastic defender, even though he's given up sides to Jason Tatum. And it feels like offense just should come easier to both of them. Um, and so far this season, like it feels like, you know, on, on the nights that Jason Tatum plays well, Jalen Brown doesn't play well. And on the nights that Jalen Brown does play well, Jason Tatum doesn't play well. Um, and even though they do have a good supporting cast, I think. Like Dennis Schroeder was a good pickup for them. Marcus sure. Smart is fantastic. Um, Al sure. Horford kind of fills in all those gaps. I mean, right. this team is not going to be, um, you know, in a playoff position or contending position if Tatum and Brown aren't firing all cylinders at the same time together.
1: The quote that uh, you're referencing is uh, goes as follows from one Marcus Smart, and I quote: Every team knows we're trying to go to Jason and Jalen. Uh, every team is programmed and studied to stop Jason and Jalen. I think everybody's scouting reports to make those guys pass the ball. They don't want to pass the ball. End quote. Um, first of all, Marcus Smart is the exact guy. I know a lot of people want Marcus Smart to stop taking threes because he's not really uh, proficient in that area. But Marcus Smart is the exact guy to go out there and call both Brown and Tatum out uh, in this manner, especially the way that they've been clunky down the stretch. As you mentioned, they, they haven't been good in clutch games. They played the most uh, clutch minutes um, per game uh, since, since the start of the season. They're, they're one in four in those five games, and their offense is just clunky. It just doesn't look good. Um, And and it it is that your turn, my turn basketball, but it's only between them. Like there's three other players on the floor and capable players of knocking down shots. Say what you want about Dennis Schroeder. Dennis Schroeder has hit some big shots in his lifetime, um, you know, in in, in on the multiple teams that he's played in. He he can make those big time shots. and, and we assume that if Jason Tatum and, and, and Jalen Brown are, are attracting a lot of attention, they should be easier shots for, one, Dennis Schroeder. Marcus Smart, again, say what you want, but he, he is going to be a threat from the three-point range if he's wide open. And then when Al Horford is, is healthy, uh, he's another guy that can knock down a big shot or two. Does this fall more on Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, or is this on new head coach Ime Udoka?
0: Yeah, I, I'm always, it, it's hard to criticize coaches because you just don't know what happens behind the scenes. And sure. this is, a, you know, he's a first-time head coach, just took over this new team. There's going to
1: be an adjustment period. Um, again, but wasn't the reason he was brought in was for this, like to, to elevate, you know, Jason and, and, and Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, like to elevate them, to, to have them, Fit a lot better than what they have been because we've seen this story before right Brad Stevens had right. this same story played out uh, it, it, the, the pieces are around them. It feels like they have talent around them. It feels like the, the correct talents around them But you know, I, I agree it is early, but we should start seeing some level of change, but it's been the same story
0: You, I mean yes, you would think that there'd be some level of change I still think it's too early to kind of criticize him completely for this slow start um, but I mean one of the things that stands out for me There was a lot of talk last season About how this team didn't really move the ball And even when you look at this roster now They've made some good additions They still don't really have Like like a ball mover Do you know what I mean? Like Jason Tatum has made strides as a passer Jalen Brown can pass Dennis Schroeder can pass Marcus Smart can pass But none of them the like pass first players Who's going to get everyone involved Like Halford to me might be the only player That I'd say is like a really Like a ball mover um, At least in that starting unit Or the, the top six or seven like that And, you know, unless you have more players like that who are going to move the ball, get others involved, cut... Um, get the defense moving, it can be really stagnant. And I do think, you know, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum both have a role to play in that because, you know, like Marcus Smart said after that game, like everyone knows that they're two of the best scorers in the league, guys who can make tough shots, get their bucket in a variety of ways. Like I just pointed out Jason Tatum's, what, 7 for 25 or something in the clutch this season. Like, yeah, he takes some really tough shots. He's also capable of making them. Like he's proven that before. And I think he's just kind of in a little rough patch right now. And Jalen Brown admitted that he's having um he's still dealing with some after effects of having COVID. That could play a role in kind of his up and down performance to start the season as well. Um but I, I think, you know, they both can be better in that regard too. Um I mean there's some concerning signs for Tatum in particular. Like Michael Pino of of Sporting News pointed out that Tatum's the the percentage of field goals that Tatum attempts around the basket has declined every single season he's been in the league, and right now it's at a career low. Um, mm-hmm. that, that's just not a great sign for a guy who, yes, can hit pretty much any shot that you want, off the dribble, step back, sidesteps, whatever. He's still a tremendous athlete, super long arms, athletic, can finish around the basket, should be able to finish around the basket against a lot of people, should be a guy who lives at the foul line. Um, right. And also his assist rate is down compared to last season as well. Small sample size. We're only, what, seven games into the season for them. Um, but, you know, they, they, they do need to turn it around because um, this team coming into the season, I think a lot of people expected them to, to definitely be in the play-in mix, um, but even possibly kind of in a solidified playoff position as well.
1: And that's why I think I'm putting the blame here in this situation square on the shoulders of Jason Tatum. Um, you know, like you, we're not in the locker room, so we have no idea what's being said by you, Doka. So I'm going to give him a pass there. Uh, Jalen Brown is, is shooting terrific from the field, uh, almost 50% from the field. Uh, you know, just above, you know, just under 38% from three point range. He's doing his thing there. Jason Tatum is struggling from the field and you brought up the stats of how much, uh, how many jump shots are, are being taken away from the bucket, um, but it's showing up, you know, in his field goal percentages. He, he can't be shooting under 40% from the field like that. That's not good enough. You can't be shooting under, uh you know, 30% from three point range. And then even when you get to the line, he's shooting under 80%. Those are all, all, all awful numbers and all career lows for him and the production points per game hasn't stopped you know it, it's still going to be there because he's taking a, a high level of volume but you cannot have that poor uh, you know shooting and, and watch and then have your teammates kind of stand around watch you take these difficult shots miss them especially in moments where they feel like they may be open or uh, you know there could be a bit of play there you're making them no one can say anything about it but you can't come to the table shooting under 40 percent and then going out there, taking these level of difficulty shots that aren't falling. Yes, you can make them, but right now they're not falling. The blame is on you to get this right. You either move the ball or figure out a way to get to your spots better than what you have been so far this season.
0: The nice thing is we're still so early into the season that he's going to probably shoot like 10 for 16 in his next game, and he's going to be shooting 47% from the field on the season, and this will all sure. feel outdated. But in, you know, in saying that, um, again, watching the video and stuff like that, it does feel like he's settling for a lot of tough shots. Some of the stats point to him, you know, not getting to the basket as much. That's not a good sign. His assists are down. Um, I mean, there's, there's, I think it's fair to say there's definitely stuff that they need to work on. Because um, again, five losses, not exactly good losses. Um, some of them have been absolutely terrible, like that loss against the Bulls when they just blew it in the fourth quarter. Um, and even though there are some new pieces around them. Um, their core has been the same for a long time now, and it's, I, quite
1: frankly, like I, I'm just surprised that they're off to this bad of a start, even with a new head coach. I as well. Um, the team that beat them uh, in in uh, Monday's win, uh, the Chicago Bulls. We talked about them last week. Um, they're here uh, again. You know, uh, a topic of discussion because they're playing really good basketball. They did lose against the Knicks uh, in a game that they probably, you know, the Knicks. <laughs> The Knicks are one of those teams that if you don't bring it for all four quarters, they're going to embarrass you or or at least take away victory, and Chicago brought it for the second half, didn't really show up in that first half, which is surprising because it was Joakim Noah night, and I thought there there was going to be so much energy in that building, and and the Knicks felt like they kind of sucked that out of the, uh, the air, and Chicago made a a fake comeback I'll call it late in the fourth quarter and and the Knicks are able to prevail but this Chicago team I think is really good we we talked about it last week wondering if they could sustain it they have a tough stretch coming up Um, but you brought up some you brought something up that was quite interesting for me uh, and I want to know your thoughts on it Uh, this happened in our NBA slack that we uh, we have uh, you know over at NBA global Uh, normally in these situations Scott likes to put these blind resumes in there (laughs) and for those of you who don't know what a blind resume is uh, it's basically he He lines up two players, or even three, two-player stats uh, next to each other, removes their name, and asks someone to either vote A or B for player A or player B. Normally, I I, I figured out a way to kind of... Spot the trick because normally Scott <laughs> tries to trick us. I figured out a way and I won't give it away here because I, I, I don't want to lose my, my one tell. But there is a tell that I like to go to to normally get out of it because sometimes I'm picking speedy clocks in over, you know, uh, you know, Stephen Ash in his prime. Um, so I want to make sure that I don't lose that tell. But in this situation, you lined up DeMar Rosen and uh, Zach Levine stats side by side and they're almost identical. Both of them having terrific starts this season. I want to know from you, though. Because uh, they're both having all-star caliber years. If Levine was an all-star a year ago. You know, DeRozan could be an all-star this year if the Bulls continue on the stretch. Whose team is it? Because that's the question that NBA fans always want to know. Whose team is it? Zach Levine's team or DeMar DeRozan's team? So what you are telling me is I need to step my uh,
0: blind resume game up because I've been doing it for too long now, and you you figured me out. Um, I, I, I found the tell. Look, I, I mean. DeRozan's off to a terrific start this season. I still think this team is built around Zach Levine. Um, he's a fantastic player. The way that he plays, he can do pretty much everything on the court. He's a great cutter. He's a great shooter. Um, he's a good pick and roll play. He can make his own his own shots out of isolation. Whereas, you know, Demar Derozan is more of a scorer who's improved as a passer, but I think he has more glaring limitations offensively. Um, which is what's so interesting about this team because I think quite a lot of people. Their biggest question mark going into the season was their defense and whether or not they could be good enough to kind of actually compete in the Eastern Conference. So far, they've been very good defensively. It'll be interesting to see what the defensive rating looks like after this stretch. But offensively, like, everything seems to have clicked very quickly for for them. Um, Vucevic is still off to a bit of a slow start. We talked about him last week. I think he's such a good shooter and he's been such a good shooter for so long that he'll kind of find his rhythm eventually. But, like, Zach Levine and DeMar DeRozan seem like they're playing off of each other really well right now. Um, It feels like kind of a natural fit for two guys who didn't exactly have, like, on paper the smoothest of fits. Um, But they're making it work. And it's fun to see, you know, like, in that fourth quarter against the Celtics... Um Zach Levine kind of gets them going to start the quarter and then DeMar Rosen comes out and closes for them. Um, I also dropped a video in that Slack channel. Um, I, I, I do appreciate how much DeMar Rosen is against shooting threes, even though he went three for four in that game. But those was He's one shot that he, Yeah, those one shot that he had where he would have been wide open for a three on a kick out from Vucevic, who who drew a double in the post. And instead he took one dribble into the, towards the basket and pulled up. Uh, for a jump around the elbow with Al Holford closing out on him and he made it because he's a fantastic scorer Um, but that was just funny to me so to go back to your question I do think this Levine's this is Levine's team I think he's kind of the heart and soul of this team it's built around him Um, but I mean the fact that you can kind of stack their numbers up together um, and we actually we we do vote on these so I I drop them in without the names and it's you know which player is better player A or player B Um, and they weren't as many votes as usual for this one, but but most people voted for DeMar
1: DeRozan. Um, that's how good he's been to start the season, but I still do think it's Sacklebane's team. It's great to see that both of those players can still play their style of basketball, and, and right now, so far, a couple games into the season, doesn't feel like they've had to sacrifice too much uh, mm-hmm. on the offensive end. Um, that stretch that you mentioned coming up for the Bulls, they play the Sixers in back-to-back games, a home-and-away series for them. Then they have the Nets, Mavericks, Warriors, Clippers, Lakers, Trailblazers, and Nuggets. Uh, that Warriors, Clippers, Lakers, Trailblazers, Nuggets, uh, five-game stretch there, that's all on the road. So we'll find out how good these Bulls are uh, right now as they sit uh, at 6-1 and one after a uh, great win yesterday, uh, or we'll say Monday uh beating the Celtics. Uh, Another team that would like to, uh, to be as hot as the Chicago Bulls in that Eastern Conference is the Brooklyn Nets, that if the playoffs started today, Scott, they would be playing the number one seeded Chicago Bulls in the first round of the playoffs. Um, I don't think that that's going to be the case when, uh, when the playoffs roll around in <laughs> April. But the Nets are 4-3. and three. They, uh, they haven't looked good. E- even in their wins, it- it's kind of been like a struggle to get to the finish line for them. Now, Kevin Durant's stats are Kevin Durant's stats, and he's been terrific. James Harden is slowly working himself into shape. But I, I-, I have a tough time watching this Nets team on offense. We, we talked about it on this program uh, last year when James Harden arrived. In Brooklyn even when he wasn't in tip-top shape to start there um, now granted Kyrie Irving was was there or the, or the uh, you know he was there a little bit and, and this Nets team was kind of a little bit different than have Blake Griffin at the time and everything else but they felt like the chemistry was there, uh, you know, right at the beginning of, you know, James Harden's arrival. So no matter if it was the big three or if it was just two of the three or even just one guy that was on the floor, it felt like they were going to get easy shots. Everyone was going to touch the rock. They were going to move the ball and an offense was going to look great in Brooklyn, similar to I don't know, how Kevin Durant got used to playing uh, with the Golden State Warriors when he went over there. Right now, they're the Nets' offense ranked 22nd in offensive rating. Um, they're only averaging 103.7 points per 100 possessions. That's not that's not good, considering the talent that they had. Like. When we talked about it at the beginning of the season, they added Patty Mills, who's, you know, we, we Olympic Patty, right? Like, this is a dude that's going to come off the bench and just be a flamethrower. Joe Harris, I don't know what's happened to him, but he's kind of lost a little bit of his touch uh, from deep. And he's not playing the same level of defense either, so I, I don't know if you, you, you really can trust playing him. And then Blake Griffin's not Blake Griffin of his prime. Now, LaMarcus Aldridge is a mid-range assassin, but outside of that, like, what are you getting offensively from this team if it's not Kevin Durant? Kevin Durant has been great, so that's a good sign for them. I, I ultimately
0: do think a lot of this comes down to James Harden's just off to a really slow and uncharacteristic start. Um, if you look at his numbers, his rebounds and assists are you know near career highs for him. But he's basically scoring at a rate that we haven't seen since, I think it's like his, his rookie season or third season in the league, when he was still a sixth man. Um, and his efficiency, like his true shooting percentage, which is like an all-encompassing stat that takes into account field goals and three-point percentage and such... Is basically down to career lows. Like he, he just doesn't look like himself. He's not getting to the rim as much. He's settling for a lot of floaters, which he's not making. We know he's not getting to the foul line as much. Um, And you know, he he's talked about it and said we know that he's coming off of this hamstring injury last year. He said he spent most of his summer rehabbing from that and wasn't wasn't able to play pickup like he usually does. And look, I I think there's two ways of looking at this. One is that James Harden has been an Iron Man throughout his entire career and he's quietly racked up like a lot of games played and a lot of minutes played and this is a guy who has you know carried a very heavy load for his entire career um an MVP candidate every single year a guy who basically is like walking 30 points and eight assists carries offenses and maybe this is you know some of that mileage kind of taking its toll on his body um but I do think you know he he was still so good before that injury last year like it's easy to forget that a lot of people were down on Harden because of the way that he started that season with the Rockets. Um, and then he joined the Nets and he he really did like enter the MVP conversation. Like he right. was that good. Um, right. So I, I chalk this more up to him having a slow start because of the the whatever, the weird offseason for him coming off that hamstring injury. Hopefully he can kind of refine, refine his form. And I think once that happens and if that happens, I think a lot of this stuff will start to fall into place because... Um, you know this team was offensively like one of the greatest teams we've ever seen in NBA history statistically with James Harden, Kyrie and Kevin Durant on the floor but they were still very good offensively with without Kyrie on the floor because um, that's how good Harden and Durant are together so I, I, I do think it's just going to take a little bit of time for them um, I thought they would hit the ground running even without Kyrie that hasn't happened but I, I'm not
1: I'm not I'm not like hitting the panic button just yet. I'm not hitting the panic button either, but I do think that it's more than James Harden. I think he's taking a lot more blame than he deserves in this situation, and I'll tell you why. And you, you tell me if I'm crazy for thinking this way. Okay. Last year in the postseason, right? James Harden gets injured. He comes back, and he's not himself clearly in those last three games against Milwaukee Bucks. Like he's he's just basically a decoy out there, right? He's not giving you anything. Mm-hmm. He can barely move. Um, but here are his here's the stats in those three games that he did play after the hamstring injury. 14.3 points per game, eight assists, 6.7 rebounds, 1.7 steals. He shot 31% from the field and 19% from three-point range. Okay, Th- those are his numbers. Uh, that's what he was giving the Nets when he was on the floor in those three games. The Nets' offensive rating in those last three games: 110.6 per 100 possessions. Like that. That's that's what they scored. Mm-hmm. Right. That is far better than what's happening right now. And James Harden is supposed to be healthy. Like, I don't think it's just James Harden. Like, James Harden, first of all, isn't playing as bad or as poorly as he did in those three games uh, when the Nets couldn't do anything with him. He was just basically a decoy against the Bucs. The the team offensive rating is far better. Like, it, it's far better in, in those playoff games. And, and this is when, you know, the Bucs, who are a great defensive team... This is against the Bucks, who are a great. De- this is the championship Bucks, who are a great defensive team. That they were able to put up one hundred and six, uh, one hundred and ten points per hundred possessions. They can't even do that against you know teams like the Wizards right now. That I, I think it's far more than just James Harden, and he is taking way too much blame. Um, you know, uh, Patty Mills has been a nice addition coming off the bench. I think they need more out of you know out of that center position. Blake Griffin can't be you know averaging under five points per game. Like that that just can't happen. He needs to be a threat to score. Nick Claxton, who is starting for them in some games, he can't average six point five points. He has to be more of a threat to score. Like the the, the 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 offense right now outside of Kevin Durant has been embarrassing. If you're you know the Brooklyn Nets, and especially when you compare them to what they could be with two of the greatest scores we've ever seen in NBA history on the same team. And yes, maybe we're not getting 110% Harden or 100% Harden, whatever. He's still better than what we saw against the Milwaukee Bucks. Am I crazy for thinking that?
0: No, that's fair. Um, I mean, I, I wasn't placing the blame entirely on Harden. I just think, like, you know, he is coming off of a, a, a tricky hamstring injury, and it's going to take him time. Um, I, I think that's pretty normal to expect. And to your point like joe harris a guy who's led the league in three-point percentage at least once maybe twice um hasn't been shooting the ball as well as as he usually does blake griffin um who was huge for them in the playoffs last year like he kind of had a renaissance in in the playoffs he hasn't been quite as good seems like he's going through a shooting slump so yeah you're right it's not just unhardened but i do think it's important when you go back to that series <laughs> I, th- I think the reason also that the Nets did play so well offensively or so much better than they are right now is because Kevin Durant went absolutely supernova (laughs) and and had one of the greatest like individual performances basically we've ever seen um, in the playoffs and became became like a a toenail away from advancing to the Eastern Conference finals. Um, So I think that has a large, a large part to do with it as well. But that points to something else that I think is kind of concerning um, right now is that, you know, the luxury of, Durant being at this stage of his career and having Kyrie Irving and James Harden on the same team is that he can kind of take it easier in the regular season and be in prime shape for the playoffs. My concern right. right now is that, you know, Harden is working his way back. If he can't get back to the player that we saw last season soon, that's going to put even more on Durant's plate if Kyrie's not playing. And look, we're talking about, I mean, we voted on the, the best players in the league going into the season. Um, I personally voted Giannis as the best player in the league, Durant second, super close. You can basically spit in hairs here, um, but he finished number one for us. We are talking about arguably the best player in the league. He can absolutely carry an offense when he needs to. I just don't know if a guy, a superstar who's in you know his early to mid thirties, tore his Achilles two seasons ago, played something like 35 games last season due to injuries. I just don't know how much you want him carrying in the regular season just to get through the regular season into the playoffs. Um, And that's another thing that I think this, you know, the reason that they do miss Kyrie Irving so much. Not only the fact that, you know, he averaged 25 points a game last season on 50-40-90 shooting splits and made NBA history, um, but it it does mean that that Kevin Durant and James Harden for that matter, but Kevin Durant in particular has to do more.
1: Yeah, and and keep in mind, like this is all early stuff. Like it's it's very early in the season. But I'm with you. It's it, it's the workload that Kevin Durant's under at this time. Then you have to think about okay, when do you start starting to rest him and all these things. And that all plays into okay, what's going to happen come postseason? Now you now you just have to at some point concede that you're not going to be the top seed in the Eastern Conference. And does home court advantage matter as much to the Brooklyn Nets? Probably not as as it would other teams, but. I think the East is better this year than it is, than it was a year ago when you look at the teams that are going to be at the bottom uh you know fighting for those play-in spots um, t- t- they're not jokes, you know. The the, the Raptors are going to be a tough, scrappy team, man. Like the, the the Hornets, they they could be a young, scrappy team that may force you may force you to play a game six when you you, you really should close them out in five or, or or sweep them. Like the the Hawks, right now, um, you know, they were a team that went to the conference finals a year ago. Maybe they're playing for you know sixth seed uh in in the conference, maybe five seed in the conference. And if you're the Nets and you can't get to those top three, giving uh you know the Heat and and the way that the Bulls are playing, and they could they could sort of run away with this conference it's going to be tough in that first round and and you know attrition happens and we saw how attrition played out for the Nets a season ago and uh there they missed their opportunity at getting a championship in their first year together and who knows what happens this time around? Um, you know, I, it's, to me, I, I I always say you got to take the regular season seriously, and in this situation with the East the way it is, there are a lot of teams like Milwaukee's eleventh in, in the conference right now. Is that going to be the case? You know, come April, no, it's not. And um, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, the, the 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 Celtics we just crushed them at the beginning of the in, of this show but they're going to be there. They're going to be in the mix. And, you know, if they're healthy a year ago, I don't think the Nets get past them in five. You know, Jalen Brown missed the entire series, the entire playoffs. They don't get past them in five. It, maybe that's a six game or maybe even a seven game series. Like that happens, uh, you know, before you know it. Uh, and if you don't take the regular season, you know, you know, seriously, the, those those first round series can turn into to, to wars that you don't want to be in.
0: Yeah, the uh, I, I feel like maybe the top, of the east i mean last year it was the 76ers the nets and the bucks like right. I, I think right. going into the playoffs everyone considered each of those teams like legitimate title contenders i don't know if there's three teams in the east that we can do that for right now um
1: Probably not. but to your point that like whatever I actually I, I, to... I disagree with that i disagree with that i okay. think i think right now not that they're not sitting at the top but i still consider the nets bucks and heat title contenders like i i think those three teams would be cut title contenders in my opinion
0: that's fair. I, I mean, I came into the season thinking it was it was Nets Bucks at the top, and then a bit of a gap from the Heat. But I mean, the Heat have been absolutely incredible. Um, Lowry isn't even playing that well by his standards, um, and they're five and one. Have I think the best defense in the league, um, all that. But I mean, going back to the point, it's it whether it's two or three teams at the very top, um, that like four to ten range, like there's gonna to your point, there's gonna be some very good teams that are in the six seven eight position fighting for the play in tournament, whether it is you know, even a, a Philadelphia, like the, the Wizards have been kind of feisty to start this season um, and look pretty good. The Hornets, the Hawks. Um, yeah, I, I, I think generally speaking, like the middle of the East is more competitive this season. Um, and, you know, every season, it feels like every team comes in thinking that, you know, they want to compete and win win a title and all that. But it does feel like there's less teams that are kind of tanking outright to start the season. Like there's a lot of teams fighting
1: for playoff positioning and play in tournament. Yeah, and there's a lot of teams that I always say, and you know, in the first round, that number one seed's so important because it you you can almost guarantee yourself, uh, you know, a five-game series, you know, if, if you come out and play the right way. I don't know if I can say that this year. Like, the, that eighth seed mm-hmm. is going to be a tough—it's just going to be annoying to play whoever's in that eighth spot, and the further you go up that ladder, uh, that just extends maybe and adds an extra game that you just don't want to play. So, um, the Brooklyn Nets, you know, their offense has an opportunity to get going. Well, like I said, I don't think it's all on uh, but we're— We'll, we'll see if they can get it together uh, without Kyrie Irving uh, here in the near future. Um, Steph Curry, man, uh, he, he's been balling, Scott. He has been balling. Uh, he he's he's my uh, favorite to win MVP. He was my favorite to start the season, and um, you know this this team without Clay Thompson is playing really good basketball, and it, and it really is because of him.
0: I mean, he's he finished third in MVP voting last season. Um, he's leading the league in scoring this season uh the team is deeper but they're still you know without clay thompson they're still without james wiseman um so that they're, they're gonna get more pieces coming soon but i mean he's just it's it's hard i feel like i've just run out of words at this point like he's he's the greatest three-point shooter in nba history but the way that he plays is just so infectious like he gets everyone moving it gets everyone passing it gets everyone cutting um we've talked about it for years now but his gravity like his willingness to set screens for everyone um it just opens up a high percentage of opportunities everywhere and the fact that you know this team has improved but there's still not like there's not that much offensive firepower out of Steph Curry like there's not that many guys on this team who you can consistently create their own shot Um, And to think he's like the center of attention of every team's defense, and he can still, you know, find a way to score 30 points a game efficiently, hit, you know, a handful of threes and just make the other team look silly doing it. Um, he he is absolutely remarkable. You did call him for MVP going into the season. We'll see if that holds. I have Giannis um, as my MVP going into the season, which the Bucs are pretty short-handed right now. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of played into their slowest start than expected. They're only three and four, um, but Giannis has been incredible, and I think they're gonna they're gonna pick it up when everyone gets back. But um, that shouldn't take away from this Steph Curry conversation because he he really has been um, absolutely fantastic, picked right right where he left off after last season. Um, and I mean, the Warriors are looking pretty good right now. Uh, it's yeah. it's gonna be fun to see when
1: they get everyone back. Yeah, the only the only cause for concern uh, for the Warriors right now is if if Steph Curry's not on the floor, they're just they're just terrible offensively. Like it, they're with Steph Curry on the floor, they have an offensive rating of one thirteen point one. The minute he sits down, Scott it goes to 86 like that's not even Ooh. winning you games in the 1970s like i mean not maybe not the 70s they were scoring a lot then but the the, the 1990s like that's not even winning you games in the 90s when they it was just bully ball like the, you you would you would struggle to beat a team in the 90s scoring 86 points um and and that's what's happening right now per 100 possessions for uh the golden state warriors when steph sits down so that ain't good um they're, they're, which but that could change if clay thompson comes back and clay thompson is clay thompson um when he does come back so you know they could stagger those minutes and, and their offense just gets that much better having him on the floor and the other thing, um, their defense, man, like I, I don't think people give them enough credit yeah. for how good they are defensively. Like, I, we always talk about, OK, how great the Heat are, the Jazz are. The Warriors are right there with them defensively. And, and I don't think people give them enough credit for how well they've done defensively over the last couple of years. They were a top five defense last year. They're going to they look like they could be a top five defense again this season. They're number three in the league right now. Um, and that is in large part of the reason why they are you know five and one and off to a great start.
0: I mean, what Steph Curry is to their offense, Draymond Green is to their defense. Like he, he's one of the smartest defenders we've ever seen in NBA history. Um, A guy who can defend every single position. He's he's just a genius. Like he quarterbacks that defense for them, Um, and they they have good defenders around them. You know, Andrew Wiggins has improved tremendously on that end of the court. Um, Steph Curry, I feel like, I feel like had a reputation as a bad defender just because you know we watched. (laughs) LeBron pick on him in the finals year after year sure. but that was only because he was the weakest defender on one of the best defensive teams we've ever seen and even then like he's a good defender like he, he mm-hmm. competes um so that yeah to your point I mean, I mean it's, it's a great point they were a great defensive team last year they're a great defensive team right now I think that's gonna hold and again hopefully you know clay thompson comes back he was one of the best backcourt defenders in the league during his uh kind of prime before he got these injuries i don't know if i'm going to expect that from him but you know having him back on the court will help maybe andrew wiggins steps up even more defensively and takes on some of those assignments so it takes a little bit off off of clay's load um but yeah this team it, it is funny because i think you know all steph curry teams we just think that they're incredible offensively but the warriors weren't that great offensively last year it was mainly their defense that powered them so if they can kind of Make those strides, which I think they will, um, with you know Jordan Poole continuing to improve, Clay Thompson coming back. I think that second unit will be better when everyone's healthy, like Jordan Poole, Jonathan Kaminga, James Wiseman. Like that could be a fun second unit and potentially an effective one, and maybe that kind of closes that gap between how good they are offensively with Steph Curry on the court and how terrible they are when he's on the bench. Um, <laughs> but yeah, this this team uh, this this team's is just really fun, and it's 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 because of Steph Curry on offense and Draymond Green on defense.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it, they are must see TV. Definitely must they see, t- must see TV. All right, uh, before we get out of here, let's empty the uh, notebook. I know you take notes every week on every game that you watch. Um, what weren't we able to talk about here that you want to give the people uh, a little bit of insight to?
0: Hey, man, Shea Gilders Alexander is incredible. Yeah, nice. um he proved it last year i think he had more of an all-star case than then really got attention um we obviously did not see him down the stretch because the thunder he was injured i think he probably could have come back but the thunder sat him um i think it's fair to say for tanking purposes but he, he's just an absolute stud he's one of the best scorers at his position um i don't know if he'll be an all-star this season because maybe the thunder are so bad that he doesn't get the consideration but he's, he's that good of a talent and and he's,
1: he's off to a great start this season so that's good to see yeah. Uh, on my end, uh, Steph Curry's brother-in-law is having a great start to the season. Damian Lee's balling for the mm-hmm. Golden State Warriors. Everyone's talking about Jordan Poole. Everyone's talking about Andrew Wiggins, how great Draymond Green has been. Uh, Damian Lee is uh, is averaging a career high in points, 14.2. He's shooting. 46 percent from three-point range all that practice maybe with the family is getting him his a uh, three-point <laughs> stroke he's getting it done uh it is small sample size and, and maybe he doesn't lead the league three-point shooting by the end of the season uh but just to have him as a three-point threat out there definitely opens up things offensively for this team uh mainly guys like andrew wiggins who can find uh lanes a little easier especially cutting lanes a little easier which he's adept at doing
0: i've always liked him i feel like he's uh his improvements as a three-point shooter are huge but he just he competes he does a lot of the little things um, and on a team that's built around a guy like seth curry that's really important um paul and trailblazers are off to a uh, weird start this season i think some <laughs> of that's just because dame is off to a, a slow start, and i expect him right. to bounce back because he's that good but losing to the 76ers by 10 points um when the blazers were healthy i think they were on a back-to-back so i'll give them that but when they were, you know, healthy and the, the, the Sixers did not have Joel and Beatle, Tobias Harris, is, uh, is not a good look. They basically lost to Andre Drummond and Seth Curry, uh, both of whom are good players, not taken away from
1: that. But that's not a game that the Blazers should have lost. So, uh, no. yeah, n- not great. Yeah, it hasn't been great for them. Uh, you know what else hasn't been great shooting to start the season across the board for hmm. the entire league uh, heading into Tuesday night's games. The league average currently sits at forty four point six percent field goal percentage uh, and thirty four point two percent from deep. Uh, that is the the, the field goal percentage is the lowest mark in the last 10 years. The three point percentage is the lowest mark in the last 18 years. Um and teams' offensive rating is down as well, um, 1068 points per 100 possessions that's off of uh 112.3 last year (sighs) 110.6 the year before 110.4 the year before that um now paul george has a a little bit of an inkling of of why that is uh he says it's a new wilson ball that is uh now uh, you know the official game ball of the nba this season um prior to that for 37 years it had been spalding um, but uh, you know, shooting percentages are down. CJ McCollum, of course, the the uh, the president of the Players Association, uh, apparently is taking some feedback from players. They will discuss that this week. I doubt that they're going to get rid of the ball, uh, but you know, it, yeah. it is something that is uh, apparently affecting uh, everybody across the board. Uh, turnovers are also high, fifteen point one per game across the board, Lee average, and that is the highest since two thousand and six seven season and you know why that's interesting scott because that is Mm. the year that uh the league and david stern and uh spaulding decided to switch out the old leather ball for the microfiber ball that only lasted uh from october to december that season uh, and it was quickly gone after that but uh, 15.1 is the highest turnover rate since that time again i don't think they're going to get rid of the wilson ball but it is something to keep an eye on
0: it's funny too because you you name all those stats, but I feel like I, I've enjoyed the games more than ever before to start the season. Like the games feel faster, um, up tempo. Teams are competing. Like I, I think like the game itself um, feels really good despite all those numbers. Um, last one from me. OG and OB shooting numbers aren't pretty. I think he's just shooting a shade over forty percent on the season. Right. But he's doing stuff that, you know, in preseason had every Raptors fan hyped, shooting off the dribble, um, doing some more things out of the post and things like that. And, you know, he's had big nights, like 36 points in a road win over the Knicks on Monday when he shot 13 for 27 from the field. And, you know, he he just it, lo- it looks like he's taking that leap. And I think he's getting more comfortable in that role. The Raptors as a whole are just fascinating because, you know, Scotty Barnes, I think, might be the favorite for Rookie of the Year right now. Um, he didn't play against the Knicks, so they're shorthanded with with him and Pascal Siakam out, and they still beat, beat a Knicks team that's been really good to start this season. Like the the Raptors are very good off uh, defensively; they compete one through five. Um, offensively, they're gonna have their ups and downs all season long, but they they have like talented players. Um, They have probably like an eight, nine man rotation. And it's going to be interesting to see how Nick Nurse handles that when Pascal Siakam does come back. Like, what do they do with the starting five? Are they just going to start OG, Scotty Barnes and Pascal Siakam and just go huge? Um, The the Raptors, I feel like it's worth noting, too, after last season because they were they were kind of a depressing team. Um, But they've been really exciting to watch so far this season. Um, But OG in particular has been
1: great. Yeah, he, he, he really has. Uh, and that Raptor game that you, you referenced against the Knicks, like they were on the verge of getting blown out in New York. Mm. The crowd was feeling it. They hadn't seen the Knicks in, a, in maybe a couple of games, and they were coming off the big win against so Chicago, a nice road win, and, and they come back to the garden, and the garden's on fire. And and that Raptor bench came on, and you know flipped the switch, and all of a sudden the Raptor victory uh, going away. So uh, that was an interesting game, and and sort of maybe a statement win for for the Raptors. Say, hey, we're not we're not done here. they the Raptors are again in that position where they're one star away from from mm-hmm. uh, from really making some noise. Like they built a, a nice foundation. Again, they're going to have to get Siakam back, but if they can get one, like if. If Bradley Beal says, "Hey, I want out," or if you know Dame eventually says, "Hey, I want out," like the, this is a place where it is now attractive for that star that is not happy with their current situation uh, to, to potentially go chase a ring. Um, last one for me. Rudy Gobert's balling, man. Like it, mm. the the Jazz yeah. always kind of sleep, you know, fall under the radar, and we we always kind of I, I think we overlook how good Rudy Gobert has been uh, over the last couple of years because of the the playoff you know spotlight that gets put on him. He can't guard on the perimeter, all these other things. He's been really, really good for the Utah Jazz, and the Jazz as a whole have been really good. They look like a tough team to beat, man, and and who knows what could have happened last season if they don't get, you know, if Conley doesn't get hurt, if they don't face any injuries. Mitchell got hurt towards the end of the, uh, the playoff, their playoff exit last year. I mean, who knows what could happen? Um, maybe, they, maybe they end up in the finals instead of uh, the Phoenix Suns, but anyway, Gobert averaging 16 points. Uh, which would be a career high for him 17.2 rebounds which is by far uh, a career high for him and that leads the league he's just been getting it done <laughs> he's shooting 72% from the field like uh, he's, he's taking less shots taking less field goals and he's just going to the line more like he's just getting fouled more there and he's, he's converting 72% uh, free throw percentage for him this season would be a career high if he was able to keep that up the blocks are a little bit down than what they were, uh, you know, the last couple of years. He was over two a game uh, each of the last uh, since his sophomore year <laughs> in the NBA. But uh, it, it, the intimidation factor is still there, and I think the Jazz defense in front of him is doing a lot better of a job of, of staying in front of their guys. I think they had the the tendency of kind of you know. Maybe being a little lackadaisical knowing that he would clean up a lot of the mess, but they haven't had to worry about that too much. And then the last thing, small sample size, of course, very small sample size, uh, but when he's not on the court, their defensive rating is 87.7. So, like, it's not all Rudy or Bust anymore, and they're actually outscoring teams 26.4 points per one on possession when he's not on the floor. So, this Utah Jazz team, uh, pretty good. Also, I mean, some of that has to do with the fact that they, there was some blowouts there, but, you know, this Jazz team... Sitting at uh what are they six and one now? Um they, they, mm-hmm. at the top of the Western Conference. Uh five and one at the top of the Western Conference. Um, you know, they're gonna be a tough team to beat. Uh, once again and could end up with the number one seed in the postseason again. You know me, I'm not
0: the uh, biggest Hassan Whiteside fan, but I feel like sure. the, every time I check in and watch him play, I feel like he's actually made some, like he's done pretty well for them in that backup position um, for the Jazz start of the season. So that, that could play a role in that too. Um, for what it's worth, basketball reference, they do their MVP tracker, which you can read about how they do it and everything like that. Right now, Rudy Gobert has the second-highest probability for MVP, um, 18.3%. Jimmy Butler is actually running away with it right now, Um, 53.5%. But, yeah, Rudy Gobert ahead of Steph Curry, Nikola Jokic. um, He's had a great start this season.
1: Yeah, I mean, and he's on his way to potentially being in the conversation again for defensive player of the year. That would be the fourth time he's done it. And if he's still in the conversation for MVP, well, forget about it. Like okay. if you have to pick an MVP from from that jazz team, like it would have to be him. Right. Like I know I know Mitchell's great and, you know, it would be between him and Mitchell, but it would have to be Rudy. Right. Like at, at this point.
0: At this point. Yeah. I mean, that that was a debate last season. I feel sure. like because the jazz was so good, it was like, you know, who who deserves the bulk of the credit for how good this team is. And it really is, you know, Donovan Mitchell offensively, um, Rudy Gobert defensively, but I also think, to your point, like Rudy Gobert, it feels like he gets criticized more than he should. Like, yes, he's a limited offensive player. Um, people joke all the time about screen assists, but he's a great screener. Their offense is built around his ability and willingness to set screens and roll hard to the basket. He's a great rebounder and all these kind of things. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, this, it's going to be exciting to see how this team kind of puts it all together because, you know, they did have a rough exit um last year in the playoffs and i think you know teams in that position it can be hard for them to bounce back and kind of pick up where they left off and continue to improve and be motivated and everything like that while having you know essentially the same team or the same core Um, but they they've been absolutely fantastic to start the season the jazz um led by rudy gobert
1: uh, there was a funny Rudy Gay stat that I saw the other day and it had something to do with playoffs and I can't remember exactly where it what, what it was or where I found it, but it was like you know teams with Rudy Rudy Gay just don't make the playoffs or something like that. It was it was like the <laughs> it was like even worse than what McGrady's like first round exits Whoa, were. Like Whoa we don't need to it was no no, no T no Mac was worse. It was worse than Come that. On it Colin. was like the, anytime you, you, you heard the T Mac uh you know stat you could have brought this Rudy Rudy Gay stat up, but I'll, I'll have to find it and send it to you uh, over Slack. Sorry listeners, you, you can't get it, you have to look it up yourself. Um, that's going to be it for us this week. We'll see you next week uh, right here, same time at the same channel across the NBA Global Networks, 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time. For Scott Rafferty, I'm Carlin Gay. Enjoy the games this week, and we'll catch you next week right here on NBA Sounds. System.